If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Last week we started uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in this for the next year and a half or so. Um, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, we'll pray and then we'll read our passage. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this Gospel of Matthew. And Lord, we ask that as we study this very well-known passage of uh, Christ's birth, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, Father, we ask that the story would be fresh to us, Lord, that we would um, truly worship Jesus, Lord, that we would see him as king, that we would know him as our savior, um, Lord, that we would truly experience him and allow him to to really impact all aspects of our life. Father, we pray that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of this word, that you would give me wisdom, Lord, as I teach on this passage. Father, we thank you, we praise you uh, for Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he'd considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now in Christ's good name. We pray. Amen. Okay, so to review last week, um, going through Matthew. Uh, verse 1 sort of lays out uh, the, the, the purpose of all of the Gospels. I believe that Matthew is sort of the most boring introduction. We reviewed sort of the various Gospels last week. Uh, Matthew starts out with the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. And he just begins listing a number of names. The names found in Matthew's list are very different from the names found in Mary's or Mary's in Luke's list. Luke's list follows Mary's genealogy up to King David. Matthew, however, follows Joseph's lineage up to David. The reason Matthew follows Joseph's genealogy is he is showing uh, Jesus's legal right to the throne of Israel. When we begin from Abraham to David, there's a list of names from David 
down to verse 11, uh, we see Jeconiah. All of those names are kings of Israel, some good, some bad. From Jeconiah in verse 12, we see the deportation to Babylon. We follow uh, the names of, of the men who would be, um, they would have the legal claims to the throne of Israel. However, Israel was taken into captivity and there was no king sitting on the throne. When we get down to verse 16, Matthew sort of uh, jumps ship, so to speak. He, he says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And from Mary, everything shifts to give attention to her. It says, by whom in the feminine, Jesus was born. Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus's rights to the throne through Joseph were through adoption. There's a small prophecy in Jeremiah 2.20 that if Jesus was genetically related or of the line of Joseph, we would have a problem. Because in Jeremiah 22.20, I believe it is, or 22.30, excuse me, when Jeconiah, the king of Israel, was basically taken into captivity, a curse was put on him by God saying that he will never have a son ever, ever that will sit on the throne of David. But the promise continues to follow his line. And so legally he has a right to it, but regally his DNA goes through Mary. And Mary follows a different path to David. So Jesus doubly has two different unique traits uh, in his um, coming to earth that gave him very specific um, rights to the throne of the Davidic covenant that we see uh, back in Samuel. And so our story uh, picks up in verse 18. Something needs to be said as, as the, as Matthew sort of unfolds the story and he says, Jesus came through Mary and sort of leaves Joseph in the dust. It, it, it builds this question. Well, how did Jesus come? What's what's what happened? And in verse 18, we read now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Um, Luke expands upon uh, what happened in a little bit greater detail. Luke seems to follow the story through Mary's eyes. Uh, Matthew follows the story from Joseph's perspective. Um, this term betrothed is not a, a term that we use today, um, or at least in our country and our part of the world. Um, to be betrothed is what we would sort of consider engagement. However, in our culture, you can be engaged and sort of break an engagement with no real problems. People get engaged, break their engagement, uh, continue with their, li their life. Uh, during this era, betrothal was something that was arranged by the parents. Mary was likely 12 to 14 years old, um, young by our standards. Um, <clears throat> there, there was an arrangement that she would be married to Joseph. There, there was a period of about a year that went by from the start of the, the betrothal to the time that they consummated the relationship. But during this time, they were legally married for all practical purposes. Um, if they wanted to break their betrothal, 
It would require uh, literally a certificate of divorce. Um, It would have been a very uh, bad situation. And so Matthew lets us know that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, I just want to stop there. We read this story so just with familiar familiarness it's we we know the story we we tend to in the um are knowing this story so well we tend to lose the emotion but when people get engaged like this is an exciting super happy time i know we as americans i I stumbled across there's a guy kp yohannan who wrote a book a revolution in world missions Uh, he's from india they still do arrange marriages. And he had a conversation thinking it was kind of foolish that, that we as Americans just let foolish kids choose who they're going to marry and that our stats kind of verify the, the, the lack of success in our marriages. And he says, we in India, we start cold, cold, cold. And he has an Indian accent, of course. And he says, but then we get hot, hot, hot. Like is our marriage. And he's like, you guys start hot, hot, hot. And then you get married and then it gets cold, cold, cold. You guys have it backwards. Why do you guys freak out when you see betrothal? And so they were betrothed. Uh, they, would, they would have this time as a period to prepare uh, their household so they could get together. They would use this time also to, um, f- for lack of better terms, verify that the girl was indeed pregnant. This, this year window would would allowed to show is she pregnant is she truly is her purity intact um i remember it's 13 years ago during this window um that i was engaged uh ann and i got engaged in october and then we were married in february and somewhere during that window i remember we went ring shopping and i i i we we decided to buy this ring and I had it sort of in my closet, sort of getting ready to the, the, the wedding date. But man, we were excited. So, or I was excited. And I remember during that window, I had this wedding band and I would pull it out. I go, oh, that's what being married is like. <laughs> and I take it off. I'm like, it was just sort of, you know, like, what's marriage going to be like? This is exciting. And I'd, I'd, you know, walk around my little apartment with my wedding ring on, not being married, you know, didn't tell anybody at the time. But it's like, oh, this is, I just can't wait. Like this is what they were in. They were engaged. This was an exciting time. They, they had their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like when we actually get married and consummate this relationship? And just all sorts of excitement. But then there's this comma. And everything is interrupted. God has a plan that this is a terrifying plan. This is, there is nothing, like we sing Christmas carols like, oh, the Virgin Mary. The, oh, it's just beautiful. No, this is not good. Like, why is there no record of her parents? Why are there no record of his parents? Their commentary. This comma changes everything. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She was pregnant. And I so wish. You know, I read the Bible and I, I like sometimes they just sort of leave us hanging. You know, there's not one single word recorded of Joseph in the whole Bible. In the whole New Testament, Joseph has 
Nothing is said. We don't know how Mary broke this. I don't know how far along she was when this happened. Did she come clean with Joseph and say, I had this visitation by this angel. His name's Gabriel. You've, heard, you've read about him. He came to me and said, I'm going to get pre-. Like, did she, did she come right away and explain it? Did she, did she go, how am I going to explain this to him? And like, then she's getting sort of like more and more pregnant where she's like, he's like, what's going on? Did, did she start throwing up? And Joseph's mom finally say, hey, you know, um, girls, when they start throwing up like this, this means they're pregnant and there's something going on here. I don't, we don't know. It just says, during this time of betrothal, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. So we get sort of a, a behind the scenes look into what he was thinking, what he was going through. We have no idea how this, how this whole thing came about. The, the whole um, virgin conception, like it's okay. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. I, I think it's okay for us to sort of struggle with this idea because there's, you know, there, when push comes to shove, there's pretty much one way how people get pregnant. There's a little bit of variance in there, but realistically, like there are certain pieces that all like they fit together in the essentials of how a woman has a child. I'm thinking medically in different ways, you guys. I'm not like. Uh, and so I don't know that more explanation from the Bible, like I don't think that that would help me like. If there was just one more paragraph, then all my like struggles would be done away with. Uh, there's a story about C.S. Lewis, who's a famous, we know him as an author. He was an English professor in England. And there's a story that during Christmas time that he was in his office in a, in a non-believing, um, uh, let me just read it. There was a story that one day C.S. Lewis was sitting in his office in the English department when a friend who was an unbeliever wandered in. There were carolers below in the courtyard singing Christmas carols. And as the two were speaking, they could hear them singing a Christmas carol that contained the words about Jesus' virgin birth. His unbelieving friend said to C.S. Lewis, Isn't it good that we know better than they did? C.S. Lewis said, What do you mean? Well, isn't it good that we know more than they did? I'm afraid you'll have to explain, Lewis explained. Or said, well, isn't it good that we know virgins don't have babies? C.S. Lewis looked him incredulously and said, don't you think they knew that? That is the whole point. Uh, uh, I think that there are many skeptics who come to this text and just think, oh, the, the, the people of this day were just sort of naive and ignorant and they, they had no concept. That's ridiculous. I'd encourage you, go to Israel, go to these places and look at the architecture of what these people came up with. And they didn't have John Deere. Like, I, I, I'm more impressed what they built back then than I am with the guys today with computers and heavy... Uh, I mean, they had slave labor. I guess that was their advantage. But, I, but, but the stuff that they built and engineered, they were humans that were very smart. 
So this isn't that Joseph or the early church or that, that they were naive about what was being claimed happened. The virgin birth is a key doctrine that is it's critical for us. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus was conceived through the Spirit by Mary. We want to guard ourselves of um, doctrine like the Immaculate Conception, which says that, uh, uh, like that, that, that on both sides, that well, Mary was basically without sin and, and th- that she was the perpetual virgin. Like this, the, the text doesn't say all of this stuff. Uh, but we can't, we can't r- grapple, our minds can't understand how did this happen? Because we're, we're, we're speaking or thinking and talking about and considering supernatural things. Uh, Millard Erickson uh, states it well. He says, if we do not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible. And there is, in principle, no reason why we should hold to its other teachings. Thus, rejecting the virgin birth has implications far reaching beyond the doctrine itself. The Bible opens up with the words, in the beginning, God created. Those are the first words that we kind of have to deal with. And and God can do whatever he he can do. There's no stipulation that says that we have to understand what he's done and how he's doing it and how he's moved in order to make it true or to make it valid. So I sit here, I know the Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary And through that, Jesus was born 100% man, 100% God. I can't can't figure that. Which leads to another point that I forgot to say early on. As we talk about the birth of Jesus, we have to guard ourselves from thinking in terms of like our own children, our own birth. Prior to my conception, I didn't really like exist. Um. I don't really know what was going on before then. Like this, this is like that. That's way above my pay grade. How I came into existence. But Jesus's birth is different because he is God and he always existed in eternity past. He was in heaven and he became man. And so this birth announcement it, there's not a whole lot that goes into it, but I, I, there are things that I see in this passage, words um, not wanting to disgrace her. When he'd considered this, I see Joseph absolutely panicked in turmoil, not knowing how to respond. Uh, uh, when I got out of the Navy in 2005, I, I, that summer, my seminary offered like an intensive Greek class that you could, plow, you could plow through two years of Greek in the summer. You literally would do three hours in the morning, and then I'd spend the whole rest of the day finishing it. Each day was equivalent to one week of um, graduate work. And they offered this normally for their missionaries that were coming back to kind of plow through. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. You know, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. But I, I was, I remember telling Anna, I'm like, you know, I'm going to need to do something so that I can focus. I need to like, 
I, 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 I'm not designed to do this much work in this short amount of time. So what I'm going to do is from La Mesa out to Shadow Mountain to, to El Cajon, it was like probably, I think, 15 or so miles each way. I'm like, I'm going to ride my bike to class every single morning, and I'm going to ride home every single So I'll be getting exercise. I'll be able to think. So I went the whole nine yards. I had my, my, my real cycling bike. When if you ride those things, you need the clip-on shoes. You need the full-blown spandex, you know, spandex pants, spandex shirt. So I'd have a backpack with my clothes. I'd, I'd ride all the way out there. I'd run into the dorms. I'd change. I'd go to class. During one of these sessions, Anna and I had struggled. We'd lost our first child, and enough time went along that we had sort of given up the hope of her conceiving. We thought we were starting to talk about adoption and how would we go through this. And so I'm in Greek class and I, I'm pretty sure I got a phone call. I don't exactly remember the conversation, but it was, I think I'm pregnant. And I tell you that that distance from El Cajon to La Mesa seemed like an, like the longest distance and my Greek teacher, Thomas, looks at me. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, I think my wife's pregnant. And here, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. And she's not sure. It's not like she's taken on a pregnancy test. And he's like, God, like you got it. We, we're almost through the day. Why don't you just go home? So I went and I changed into my spandex. I threw my backpack on. I'm going through El Cajon. And there's a Walgreens. <laughs> and so then I'm like, I need to get a pregnancy test, which I'm like a kind of a shy person when it comes to these sort of things. <laughs> And so there I am, I hop out, I'm, I'm, I'm clicking through Walmart in spandex with a backpack in the like pregnancy test sort of aisle, picking one out and I walk up to the counter and buy from the lady. I wish there was self-scan back then, but there wasn't. And she's looking at me, she's like, so you're out on a bike ride and you just decide now that you need to get a pregnancy test? And I'm just like, just give it to me. I got to go. Like, I got to get home. This is uncomfortable. I gotta... But we get home. We find out Anna's pregnant. We're all very excited. And I found that in the context of marriage, most pregnancies are like, th- there's fear and trepidation, of course, by any dad, like any, like, like, oh, no. But then there are other pregnancies that I've um, a- 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 just in life experiencing where they're not married and they're a pregnant... It's a horrifying, scared, working with alternatives as on the board of directors at our pregnancy crisis center. Seeing the story after story of young girl who's pregnant, no boyfriend, not maybe not even knowing who the dad is, not knowing, like being in those situations. Not all pregnancies are met with, they're all met with emotional responses. There's no question. Some are super joyful and some are, what am I going to do? My life is over. I don't know, like, maybe abortion is the answer response. And I would speculate that this is the situation that, not Moses, uh, Joseph is in. See, we read, and Joseph, her husband, they didn't go get married. They're betrothed. And so, Matthew, they would become married. And so, uh, Joseph, her husband, betrothed at the time, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, 
so what I see is a guy tossing and turning all night long, pacing, like, what are we going to do? Mary's pregnant. Who does she think I am? Like, that I'm pregnant? Like, that the Holy Spirit came upon me? Like, like, does she think I'm that dumb? Like, does she, like, like we know how pregnancies happen. And here his, his, however he found out, which we don't know, he doesn't know what to do. And we learn about him that he's a righteous man. That meant that he followed the Mosaic law. But not wanting to disgrace her. So we see this devout, religious, God-honoring man who is also a merciful man. And we see this sort of a beautiful combination, but it's unfortunately is sort of rare. Sometimes the devout religious person becomes um, legalistic and harsh and cruel to those that aren't living up to the standard. On the other side, a, a totally merciful person, it, it could be because they're not really walking with God and they just want to dismiss everything. But here we have this guy. He is a righteous man. He wants to deal with her mercifully and he doesn't know how to handle this. To, to, marry, her would, uh, to marry her would acknowledge guilt on his part. That we were having sexual relations before marriage. She got pregnant. We need to hurry up and make this right. That's sort of the mosaic law. If, if I, in my quick study this week, is if a person was engaged and they, 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 they got pregnant, they could get married. That was sort of, that you made it right by doing that. However, on the other side of the coin is, if you were engaged or betrothed and you got pregnant and it was not from the person you were betrothed to there. The, the law was much harsher. Um, I don't know that it was always in, I don't think it was really that often enforced, but one of the things I came across is what they could have done is taken Mary down publicly in front of everybody, put her in a box and they would put manure up to her knees and then they could stone her until she was dead. And so we have Joseph who is in a predicament and he doesn't know what to do. And this, when he considered in verse 20, when he considered this, I think that that what this is saying is after he'd wrestled, after he'd like made his list of the pros and cons, how to handle it, what are my options? And what he came up with is that I'm going to take her away secretly away from everybody. I'll divorce her there so she can keep whatever dignity she has, but I'm not going to commit myself to this person who has committed adultery on me. This isn't a happy situation. This is a, um, this is a, this is a difficult, difficult situation. And, And right there, after he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And so this angel appears. He'd made up his mind. This angel appears and five sort of facts or instructions are given 
to Joseph at this point. Uh, the, the, the first thing that's told to him is, Mary, Mary, God's will is for you to marry this lady. That this assurance would be given. When I do premarital counseling, one of the, in the, the, the first few weeks, I think the fourth session or so, the, the purpose is for the, the two people that are there to come with absolute conviction that they believe that their spouse that they're about to marry is absolutely without a doubt God's provision for them. Because they're going to need that. Because when you get married, you're married. To, you're, you're basically you're a terrible person, and then you're married. You're marrying another terrible, selfish person, and so there's a lot of friction. And so when you enter into marriage, knowing no, absolutely, this person I married is the one that God has purposed for me. That's what's going to get you through to ultimately work things out to make it better. And so right off the bat, the angel says, you are to marry Mary. Don't be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Have you guys ever met people? (laughs) Have you met how people murmur? Have you heard children murmur and what they're murmuring is what they've heard from their parents? The cruelness of people? Now, Mary had the benefit of an angel stepping down, and Joseph now has this benefit of an angel stepping down. What do you think their community is going to think about this? What do you think their parents, their grandparents, their cousins? I've heard a lot of excuses about people getting pregnant, but this is the first. (laughs) That the Holy Spirit came, oh, you guys might want to come up with a different, like you guys are just going to make this worse on yourself. That Jesus growing up would be murmured about him, that he was an illegitimate child and probably using a harsher word. Anna gave me her advice last night and she said, don't use that word. Or she said, I'm not going to tell you don't use that word. She's like, well, I'm like, what's the proper word? And she's like, it's illegitimate. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> but that Jesus would live his life joseph isn't your dad you don't even know who your dad is you've never met your dad you guys think people are harsh enough to say stuff like that i do why wouldn't joseph be afraid i look at joseph we sing mary did you know there are like no songs about Joseph. I think one was written like a couple weeks ago, or I don't know, a couple weeks ago. That could have been a couple years ago. I Googled it. There's a new song about Joseph. This guy exercised faith and nobody talks about his faith. I have a friend who is sort of a philosophical guy. And sometimes his philosophy of things that he's sort of tinkering with in his head come out of his mouth and they come out at the wrong time. He was a little introspective about his wife who was having their child. And as he thought about it, he started thinking, well, a woman at least knows where the child came from. But but men, we really just, we take it by faith. Like we don't really know, like we have an idea that we're the parent And he's telling me this. I'm like, please tell me you did not say this to your wife that's eight months pregnant. (laughs) 
And he said, no, I actually, I did bring this up to her. And I thought it would be like a neat sort of like, I'm like, how did it go over? And he's like, not good. <laughs> but here, Joseph, sure an angel appeared. I'm sure I've never had an angelic encounter that I'm aware of, but I'm pretty sure that like a couple days later, I'd be like, did that really happen a month later? Like I'd be questioning the whole thing over and over and over again. But clearly this guy exercises faith when the angel told him, number one, to marry Mary. The angel said this, this pregnancy is through the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural event. There was no ultrasound back then. The angel gives some prophecy that this child is indeed a boy. His name will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their their sins. This is huge. It's Jesus' mission statement. This is compelling for Joseph. We'll see in a few verses that he indeed will take Mary as his wife. But Matthew, whose purpose, Matthew's whole purpose is to prove to the Jew that Jesus fulfills many, 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 many hundreds of prophecies, that this is not a scam, that this isn't something that just was cleverly made up. And throughout Matthew, more than any other gospel, he quotes from the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so before he tells us how Joseph is going to respond, he says in verse 22, Now all of this took place to fulfill which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. So he's quoting from Isaiah 7:14, which was prophesied some 700 years before the birth of Christ. If you guys want some interesting reading on prophecy and you want to get a whole huge amount of views for the three of you in here, you read some commentaries, go to Isaiah 7:14 and start reading what they come up with. There's dual fulfillment. There's a bunch of stuff that's sort of interesting, sort of not. Just depends on where you kind of are on that stuff. The, the, the point of importance for me and in this text is that Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he tells the story of the birth of Christ and its, his conception and arrival on earth, what he says is go back to Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7:14 was fulfilled in this event. You can go to scripture, it's validated, it's confirmed. This isn't something new. Christianity is not something that they just came up with. Christianity in 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 many ways is Judaism or the Hebrew faith sort of fulfilled. This isn't some new thought. This is God's plan that has been for many, many, many years from the foundation of the earth. And so we read in verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, which is beautiful. That he had the faith... 
not one word is quoted of, of Joseph, but his life speaks louder than any words could speak. He, he took Mary as his wife. He adopted Jesus as his son. He raised him as his, as his earthly child. I've seen adoption happen where, you know, the kid gets mad and says, you're not my dad and you're not, you know, you're not good enough. What if the kid's dad, like, was God? Like, had a rough situation for Joseph. And yet he does it, and he raises this child. And in verse 25 we see, But he kept her aversion until she kept birth to his son and called his name Jesus, just as the angel had said. Uh, I came from a faith background that sort of tried to uh, propel uh, that, that Mary remained a virgin indefinitely and it's important for us to point out that that is not supported at all by the text of the scriptures it's very clear but he kept her a virgin until meaning that after he gave birth that they would have normal relations mary was a good wife they they eventually had other children jesus had brothers and sisters the text shows us and so this whole story of God interrupting their lives, I found that when God comes into a person's life, it's sort of disruptive. None of us have really been challenged in the way that Joseph and Mary were challenged. But as we go through Matthew, as we get work our way through this gospel, we're going to see over and over and over that Jesus is going to prick, he's going to push, he's going to prod, he's going to challenge us. We're going to have to wrestle with how committed are we to him. But here we read the story of his birth. And, and I want to, I stumbled across a, an old um, Paul Harvey commentary commentary dealing with Christmas. I, I don't have his voice, but you guys all know Paul Harvey. And this is what he said. Um, he tells of a man that did not believe that God had taken human flesh in the person of Christ. He was a kind, decent family man, but he was skeptical about the message of Christmas and he couldn't pretend otherwise. So on Christmas Eve, he told his wife that he was not going to church with her and the children, because he just couldn't believe. So they went without him. Shortly after the family left, snow began to fall. As he sat in his fireside chair, reading the paper, he was startled by a thudding sound against the house, then another, then another. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his window. He didn't want to leave the poor creatures there to fr freeze. He thought of the barn where his children stabled their pony. He put on his coat and boots and tromped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the door wide and turned on the light, but the birds didn't come in. He went back to the house and got some breadcrumbs and sprinkled a path to the barn. 
But the cold creatures ignored the food and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them and shooing them into the barn, but they scattered in every direction, frightened by his well-meaning actions. As he puzzled over how he could help save these frightened creatures from sure death, the thought struck him. If only I could become a bird and speak their language, then I could show them the way to safety in the warm barn. At that moment, bells from the church rang out through the silent falling snow, heralding the birth of the Savior. The message of Christmas suddenly made sense, and he dropped to his knees in the snow. And so I think that the whole purpose of this story is that God became man so that he could explain to us God. In the Gospel of John, verse, chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt is literally tabernacled. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus comes, when you're exposed to the gospel, it should shake you a little bit. You should be challenged. There are things that we need to grapple with. Because when Jesus comes, he changes everything. And my prayer is that you would be changed through the gospel. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the birth of Christ that we celebrate. Lord, as Christmas approaches, as we spend time with families, we exchange gifts as we uh, just enjoy this season. Father, we ask that you would help uh, the reality of who Christ is, Lord, to, uh, to come clear into our minds. Father, we confess that we are so caught up in our own desires, our own wishes, our flesh, our selfishness. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to humble ourselves before you that we would bow our knee before you and just give you thanks this Christmas season. We thank you that Jesus changes everything. We thank you that he desires uh, to truly be a part of our life. We thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us and that we have a high priest who understands what we struggle with, what we go through, what our worries and concerns and fears are. And so, Father, we thank you that you are patient with us And we ask that you would guide us this day. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.